Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to the Positively Trek podcast. I'm your host this week, Dan Gunther. And unfortunately, not with me this week is my regular co-host, Bruce Gibson, who has the week off. I hear what you're thinking, and, and everyone, please don't turn off the podcast. Don't skip to the next episode. I promise this will still be a fun and interesting episode of Positively Trek. We don't have a lot of news this week, but I do have a look ahead at the year 2022, as well as, of course, my thoughts on the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. Season 4, Episode 7, But to Connect. So like I said, not a lot of news this week, but I did want to take a quick look at what's coming up in this year for Star Trek. So in 2022, we have a lot coming. It's going to be a great year for Star Trek, and we're very much looking forward to it here at Positively Trek. First of all, of course, the remainder of the first part of season one of Star Trek Prodigy. Star Trek Prodigy is returning this week. January 6th is a new episode called Kobayashi. This is the sixth episode of the first season of Star Trek Prodigy. And the remaining five episodes of the first part of season one will run weekly starting this week. So so we have a hiatus for Star Trek Discovery Season 4 as of last week's episode. That will return on February 10th. So I've looked at the calendar, and that means we get an episode of Star Trek Prodigy weekly for the next five weeks, and then after that, Discovery returns. So with the exception of the first episode of this most recent season of Star Trek Discovery, there's no overlap between Prodigy and Discovery as it airs on Paramount Plus and on other services around the world. So very much looking forward to that. But that, of course, is not all of the Star Trek that we're getting this year. So the remainder of Discovery Season 4 returns on February 10th, as I've said. And also this year, we are getting Star Trek Picard's second season. And we, of course, have seen the trailers for that. We're very excited for that. We know Q's coming. We know there's all kinds of really cool time travel shenanigans that are going to be happening in that season. Now, the most recent information we have says that season two is advertised as coming in February based on the trailer we got some time back. However, I expect that date to be pushed. The reason for that being that Star Trek Discovery, as I said, comes back on February 10th and airs the remainder of the fourth season from that point on, and that will put the end of Star Trek Discovery's fourth season sometime in March. Now, I could be wrong, but I am assuming that they are not intending on airing Discovery and Picard back-to-back. That being the case, I can see them pushing Picard, 
into March, as opposed to the initially reported February release date. So this hiatus of discoveries is unexpected. It it seems to have caught a lot of people by surprise. We speculated in a previous episode of the podcast that maybe even the folks at Viacom CBS were taken a bit by surprise with the uh, with their having to do this. So. That said, I I think it's definitely thrown the schedule out of whack a bit, and I would not be at all surprised for an announcement of a delay of season two of Picard. I would actually be more surprised if they don't delay Picard. So look forward to that. I, I see that as something looming on the horizon. But believe it or not, that is far from the only Star Trek we're getting on television this year. We have a brand new television series coming in 2022, expected sometime after Picard Season 2, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, I, along with most of the rest of the Star Trek fandom out there, am incredibly excited for Strange New Worlds. This will, of course, continue the adventures of Captain Pike, Spock, and number one, of the USS Enterprise as seen in season two of Star Trek Discovery. We got that kind of sneak peek look at it, not really a trailer, but an introduction of the characters that are taking part in this series. And I am very, very excited, very stoked to see where this series goes. I can't wait to get a true trailer for it. Uh, I'm assuming, like I said, that will be coming sometime after Picard season two. I'm thinking in the first half of 2022 or towards the middle, maybe, which still leaves us two more series after that that will likely air in 2022. That, of course, is Star Trek Lower Decks season three, consisting of 10 episodes. And we've heard that it will be in mid to late 2022. So not sure exactly when, but likely after Picard and Strange New Worlds have completed, we will see the resolution to the cliffhanger we got at the end of season two and 10 episodes of that really wonderful animated series. I've really been enjoying Lower Decks. I hope everyone out there has been as well. We, of course, will be covering the episodes on this podcast, along with Picard, Strange New Worlds, Discovery, and Prodigy. And speaking of Prodigy, we have what is being billed as the second half of their first season. So the first half of season one consists of 10 episodes, and we'll see the last of those airing in the beginning of February. The 10 remaining episodes will be airing sometime in 2022, And this is being called the second half of Prodigy's first season. So, man, we just have wall-to-wall Star Trek this year. It's going to be pretty close to year-round Star Trek. I haven't done the the math on all of it. I know there's definitely not enough to fill up the entire 52 weeks, I don't think. But it's going to be pretty close. We're going to have a lot of Star Trek this year. So, very much looking forward to that. But that's only part of what's coming in 2022 for Star Trek. Because if you look beyond what we see on the television screens, there's still a lot out there for Star Trek to be enjoyed. So uh, I want to talk a little bit, and we've, we've brought it up before on the podcast, of course, the Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition 4K Upgrade 
which is also due to be coming out sometime this year on Paramount Plus initially, and I'm hoping in other places elsewhere as well. Now, my reason for hoping this is entirely selfish. I don't have Paramount Plus, and I'm assuming it's not going to be released that way here in Canada, where I live, uh, hoping that it will be released on Blu-ray or uh, 4K disc at some point, just because I I very jealously want to see it. They've been doing a lot of amazing work with regards to this upgrade. And to me, the director's edition is the preferred version of Star Trek The Motion Picture. I bought that DVD when it first came out back in 2001. Wow, I can't believe it's been over 20 years <laughs> since that version of the film was released. But there we have it. That is something that is going to really make me feel old. But yeah, two decades on... Paramount has brought that team back together to upgrade this film in 4K Ultra HD. The visual effects will be newly rendered and updated. And uh, yeah, like I said, it will be on Paramount Plus first, but I'm hopeful there will be announcements that will be able to enjoy it in some other way as well. Now, of course, longtime listeners of Positively Track and followers of Bruce and myself will know that we are big fans of the Star Trek novels. And every year we look forward to seeing what's going to be coming in the world of Star Trek novels. Now, unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot announced yet for 2022 for novels. Right now, on the schedule, there is only one book, a Star Trek Picard novel entitled Second Self by one of my favorite authors, Una McCormick. And that's scheduled for May 17th of 2022 at the moment. Now, of course, that's changeable. Schedules change all the time. I'm really hoping we're going to see that schedule fill out a bit more. However, I'm not thinking there's going to be much before then because they're really running short on time to make any kind of announcements for books before that May 17th release for that novel. So... I'm not really sure what's happening with the publishing world for Star Trek right now, but hopefully that, like I said, that schedule fills out a bit more. Now, Second Self is a novel that I'm really looking forward to. Like I said, Una McCormick, one of my favorite Trek novelists, and the back cover blurb for this book is interesting as well. It goes as follows. Following the explosive events seen in season one of Star Trek Picard, Raffi Musiker finds herself torn between returning to her old life as a Starfleet intelligence officer or something a little more tame, teaching at the academy perhaps. The decision is made for her though when a message from an old contact, a Romulan spy, is received, asking for immediate aid. With the help of Elnor and assistance from Jean-Luc Picard, Raffi decides to take on this critical mission— and quickly learns that past sins never stay buried. Finding the truth will be complicated and deadly. So I'm excited for this novel for a number of reasons. One, it takes place between seasons one and two, which is pretty cool. We don't see a lot of that with regards to Trek novels these days, most of them being kind of backstories with the television world being so tightly timed with regards to when these adventures take place. It's kind of, you don't usually have a chance to kind of squeeze a novel in there, but uh, this story will take place between seasons one and two. And Rafi is, to my mind, a very compelling character and one that I'm very interested in learning more about. So 
uh, Una McCormick in her hands, of course, I think this is going to be a very good and very interesting and fun read. So uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. It's coming out in hardcover in May. So look for that price point to be a little higher than the usual trade paperbacks. And of course, it will be available as an ebook as well, as well as an unabridged audiobook. So uh, they're doing that more and more with the novel releases these days, giving us audiobook versions, and I'm very thankful for that. I haven't purchased those myself, just I, I don't seem to have a lot of time to listen to audiobooks, but I've heard samples and also people who have purchased it say Robert Petkoff, who does most of them, uh, does an excellent job of reading them. So if that's your preferred method of getting Star Trek novels, that will be a really fun way to hear this novel this time around as well. So yeah, pretty thin with regards to the book announcements. There are comics, of course, still coming from IDW. We'll have the continuation of The Mirror War. The first part of that came out in 2021. We'll have the remaining issues of that in 2022. That is a Mirror Universe story starring Jean-Luc Picard, the Mirror Universe version of the Enterprise and his crew as they wage war in their particular Mirror Universe way, as we've become used to. Uh, we also have these interesting Alien Spotlight comics that were recently announced by IDW. And yeah, IDW is going to be focusing on various alien species with extra long one-shot comics. And each one of these will be focused on a different species. The first issue is due in February and it has a focus on the Klingons. And this particular issue will tell the story of Kalis, who of course is Kalis the Unforgettable, the legendary Klingon warrior and founder of the Klingon Empire. And later issues will focus on the Ferengi, Vulcans, Trill, and other species as well. So uh, this looks to be a bit of an ongoing series of one-shots, and I'm really excited for these. I love IDW's comics work. Uh, they've done some great stuff recently. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely be picking those up in February, starting with this Klingon issue and going on from there. And I'm sure you will hear about our opinions of these comics here on Positively Trek. Moving away from print now, we have the Star Trek Resurgence video game. And this is one that I talked about in a previous episode of the podcast. I haven't had a lot of time for Star Trek gaming lately, but this one just really looks to be right up my alley. Star Trek Resurgence is coming this spring, uh, and it's set in the 24th Century Prime Universe. It's a PC and console video game. And uh, it looks to tell the story. You take on uh, one of two characters, a uh, first officer or an engineer. And this kind of storytelling gaming is something that I'm really interested in and kind of harkens back to some of the video games of old. So, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to get more of a look at this. We saw the trailer a few weeks back. And uh, I'm really excited once people start getting their hands on this game this spring and start playing it. I'm, I'm still thinking I might get it myself. I haven't quite decided yet. But if I do, you'll certainly hear my thoughts on it as we uh, move through this year in Star Trek. Now, something else coming this year that I've brought up again on the podcast a few times, something I'm very excited about and really flashes me back to my childhood, is the return of Playmates Toys to the Star Trek universe. In the 90s, of course, we got all of those amazing Star Trek action figures, starting with the TNG figures. And then, of course, we got all the different series and stuff, these great 
detailed figures. I have so many of them still packed away somewhere. And I'm really curious to see what they have in store for us. They will be returning this year, promising, quote, attention to brand detail, authentic portrait sculpting, and new product innovations. So we haven't really gotten any major details on these yet, except that it will feature, the line will feature figures from past series as well as current series. And of course, Star Trek Prodigy, I think, is going to be a huge tie-in for the kids' market for Playmates. So I'm really excited to see those, and I'm sure a review of some of those will be forthcoming once they make their appearance on toy store shelves. And the final thing that I want to mention that I am looking forward to this year, I don't know that I'll be able to attend myself. In fact, it's probably very unlikely I'll be able to attend myself, but the Mission Chicago Star Trek convention, the new official Star Trek convention, is taking place in April of this year, put on by Reed Pop. So uh, there's been a few guests announced for this, and I'd like to do a feature on this in a future episode where we talk a lot about the guests who have been announced and, and who might still be yet to be announced. Uh, there's not a ton of guests have been announced yet, but I'm expecting more to come. And of course we're still dealing with COVID. That's still a thing that's happening. So, so it'll be enlightening to see, of course, how far along we are by the time April comes along. If the situation has changed significantly, uh, it's coming up fast. We're already in early January. April's going to come really quickly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I know Bruce is very excited about this convention as well. And I, as far as I know, still has plans to attend in person. I really hope he's able to. I would love to be able to. I unfortunately don't see it happening just financially and, and other considerations. But still very much looking forward to seeing how the new stewards of the official Star Trek convention will handle this new official convention. I'm very excited. So looking forward to that. So that's a lot of what I'm looking forward to in 2022. Is there anything that I didn't mention that you're excited about for the coming year in Star Trek? Please let us know. Reach out to us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at PositivelyTrek. We'd love to hear from you. Is there anything you're looking forward to this year that uh, that maybe I neglected to mention here. I'd love to hear that from you. So after this brief break, I will be back to share some thoughts on the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, but to connect. Thank you to you, our listeners, for supporting Positively Trek and to especially our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to contribute to Positively Trek and be a patron on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You'll get perks like early access to episodes and bonus content. And for those who are in the higher levels, you get shoutouts and associate producer credits and much more. And speaking of shoutouts, let's give a shout out to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber. Thank you all for your support. Now let's go back to the show. For generations, the Federation has sought out new life new civilizations not to destroy but to connect even in the face of uncertainty and we are not all federation members but those ideals can still guide us especially now we cannot let fear define us in this moment 
So we're well into season four of Star Trek Discovery now. This is the seventh episode of this season so far. The episode is called But to Connect. And I've seen a lot of people online kind of confused about the provenance of that title. Where does it come from? What does it mean? Well, uh, you'll notice that I played that brief clip of Michael Burnham's final speech in the episode. And you can see that's where that title comes from. The ellipsis at the start, but to connect, shows that it kind of continues on from a, a whole phrase. And as Burnham says in the episode... Not to destroy, but to connect. So that is the the goal of the Federation, is to encounter new life and new civilizations. Not to destroy, but to connect. And that actually really reminded me of one of my favorite moments from Star Trek. One of my favorite lines is actually Benjamin Sisko in the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine, where he's talking to the prophets and saying that their mission is to contact new life forms. Not to destroy them with weapons or ideas, but to learn from them. And that's just one of my favorite lines, and I see that echoed here in this episode. So I should say I will get into spoilers for this episode. So if you've not watched But To Connect, you may want to do that before continuing to listen. But yeah, we're going to jump right into this episode and talk a bit about it. So first of all, we have this big conference, this multi-species conference comprised of both members of the Federation and people who are not a part of the Federation discussing what to do about the DMA, the dark matter anomaly that's threatening the citizens of our galaxy. The goal is to come up with some sort of joint idea of how to handle the situation, how to move forward. And it kind of ends up coming down to two major options. Number one is peaceful first contact. Once they learn where this mysterious species 10C is located, the idea would be to launch a first contact mission that would seek to initiate peaceful first contact under the assumption or at least the lack of evidence that they are intentionally being aggressive. The second option, which ends up being proposed by our friend Ruan Tarka, the Rysian who was working with Stamets a couple episodes ago, is to use a weapon of his own design to destroy the controller or to power off the controller at the heart of the DMA by setting off an isolytic subspace reaction as seen in the film Star Trek Insurrection, that kind of subspace weapon that would end the threat of the DMA, but also possibly have consequences in that it could anger whoever created it or be perceived as an attack, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, the two options, peaceful first contact or a show of force by destroying the controller at the heart of the DMA. And we see the kind of debate play out over the course of the episode over these two options. Burnham very much on the side of the peaceful first contact option and book who finds himself on the side of the attack now option. And to see the rift between these two characters is heartbreaking really, and incredibly played by both actors. They both do an, a really great job of showing the kind of pathos between the two of them and the, the, the hurt feelings and the, the sense of betrayal between them. 
is definitely on full display here. As hard as it is to see these characters at odds, it was really great to see how two amazing actors really managed to pull that off. So we'll come back to that part of the story towards the end. But in the meantime, one of the impediments to them carrying out their plan for the the peaceful first contact side of things is that they don't know exactly where Species 10C is located. Now, Zora, the main computer of Discovery, which has been evolving over the past few episodes and seasons, has determined the coordinates of Species 10C, but is refusing to disclose that information to the crew of Discovery, thinking that she is protecting them by not allowing them the information that they would surely use to go and find Tensi and confront them. And Zora doesn't want that to happen because she cares about the crew and doesn't want to see them hurt. This leads to my favorite part of this episode, which is this kind of determination of what Zora is. Is she an integrated AI, which is not allowed to be a part of Starfleet ship computers, or is she something else? And we kind of see this philosophical debate play out over the course of the episode with the very welcome return of Kovic, David Cronenberg's character, uh, with Stamets and Culber and Saru, as well as Gray and Adira, who are all there kind of debating what should be done if Zora can be trusted, and if not, what can they do? Now, the main voice against Zora, the kind of lone voice against Zora, is Paul Stamets, who is terrified about what Zora has done and what she's becoming, and references made, of course, to control the AI that would eventually, in a particular timeline, go on to destroy all sentient life in the galaxy. Uh, this kind of AI that went out of control. So obviously that's echoing through their minds. And, and for Stamets, that's the big fear that Zora could become something like that. And I can't disagree with his fear. I think it's a very justified one. And I love that he sticks to his guns through the whole episode and doesn't merely relent because the group thinks that everything will be okay. He voices his concerns and makes clear the issues that he has and carries through on that to the end until he is actually fully convinced by the end. So this part of the story I thought was terrific. The exploration of what Zora is, it all very much reminded me of similar things we've seen in Star Trek before. The Measure of the Man from season two of TNG, Picard arguing for Data's rights as a sentient being, really comes to mind in this part. The whole speech of Picard's at the end of that episode, Starfleet is directed to seek out new life while there it sits waiting, referring to Data. And that ultimately is what Zora is determined to be as well, a new life form. And the final solution to all of this, where Zora becomes a specialist in Starfleet, I thought was an inspired choice. Very cool, because Starfleet personnel are required to adhere to a code of conduct and to swear an oath to represent the the federation and to uphold its ideals and that solution is perfect in that it'll hold zora to an accountability and stamets of course coming back with you know you want us to trust you but you have to trust us by giving us the coordinates and, and trusting that we will do what is right 
that whole interplay was terrific. I think Anthony Rapp did an incredible job in this episode, as did everyone in that in those scenes, uh, really kind of selling that argument and selling that debate. And the revelation at the end that Kovic has already made his determination, but Stamets talks to Zora and is kind of finally convinced and asks Kovic what Kovic would have done if Stamets hadn't uh, agreed and hadn't been okay with it, even though he'd already made his judgment. And Kovic said, well, we would have transferred you to a different ship if you were uncomfortable with it. And I love that in that it elevates Zora to another member of the crew. It's not, you know, the, the organic people aboard the ship and then this other that we can order around and, and not give any thought to her own autonomy. She's now on the same level as everyone else. You know, part of the command structure, yes, and subordinate to the officers that are in charge of her, but no less of a person than anyone else, which I think was really cool. I really loved that entire part of the episode. Now, the part of the episode I'm loving less, and that's not a criticism of the episode, that's a criticism of the actions taken by characters, which, again, incredibly well-written. I'm loving the episode. I'm not criticizing the writing or anything like that. I'm enthralled by this episode. I thought it was terrific. But I am so disappointed in book in this episode. And, again, that's not to say... Uh, I don't believe the character or anything like that. I'm just saying that I care about this character and he's making poor decisions and uh, I want him to not do that. <laughs> but we have Book, of course, allying with Ruan Tarka in this effort to destroy the DMA and, and take the fight to Species 10C. And as far as Tarka is concerned, we get this really interesting kind of story from him. And he's so unreliable as a character. I have no idea whether to actually believe him or not. But he talks about wanting to go home to this new home in another universe. He talks about there being countless parallel universes, each with its own quantum signature, which is directly from the TNG episode Parallels. And that he had found one with no war, no burn, no emerald chain, where they could live free. And he's talking about him and a friend who were prisoners of the emerald chain. And how he wants the controller from the heart of the DMA to have enough power to be able to cross over into this other universe. This is a very strange motivation here. And I'm really curious. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to learn more about this and how true all of this is, but I, I don't understand how this is convincing book. And I, I don't think it really is. I think book is in it for his own personal reasons, as obviously he lost his planet and wants vengeance and wants to destroy this thing under the under what he says of, of not wanting it to ever hurt anyone ever again. But I think there's, you know, a bit of vengeance at his heart kind of thing. But as far as Tarka's role in the story goes, I'm really curious to see where that goes, because that all seemed very strange to me. But the vote is held and it's decided that they will use the peaceful means to contact Species 10C after an impassioned speech by Burnham, which is where the quote from the, the title of this episode comes from. Now, 
that whole thing where Burnham gives that speech that was right after Book gave his speech, which was, I think, equally impassioned and very, very moving. But the the speech that Burnham gives puts her in direct conflict with Book and his perspective. And of course, Burnham votes for the peaceful solution, which, uh, you know, really does not sit well with Book. And you can tell, of course, that the two of them are going through so much with all of this. But in the end, like I say, the vote is the peaceful first contact solution. Now, of course, this doesn't sit well with Tarka and Book, and they steal the next generation spore drive, which Tarka has been working on with Aurelio. They install it aboard Book's ship and use it to escape discovery and presumably go somewhere to develop this weapon that they will use to attack the DMA. And uh, Book leaves a note for Burnham to look after Grudge and leaves Grudge behind. And that's basically where the episode ends with that kind of cliffhanger there. So so I don't know. I'm really curious to see where this goes. I'm, I'm heartbroken by the relationship troubles, obviously, that Burnham and Book are having here. And... I I don't know where things are going to go from here. And there's, there's so much going on. It's going to be a long few weeks to kind of find that out. But of course, we're basically only halfway through the season approximately. And there's still a lot of story to go. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Species 10C and how all of this resolves. Meanwhile, over on the Zora side of things, one thing that I didn't mention yet that I wanted to talk a bit about was this revelation of Zora's subconscious, which is not something that AIs usually have unless they're programmed to. So that's kind of how they determine that Zora is a new life form, something new, something different. And this whole idea of a subconscious of Zora's got me to thinking. We have the Short Treks episode Calypso that first introduced Zora way back a few years ago, and we've been wondering how we get there. Discovery has apparently sat in a nebula for nearly a thousand years with no crew aboard, only Zora, one shuttlecraft, and the ship looks like it did before it was upgraded to the uh, NCC 1031A version that we have in season four, three and four of Discovery. And we wonder how is this possible? Well, we've had some clues that, oh, you know, there's the, the programmable matter. Maybe she could change herself really quickly, somehow change the ship. I have another, I don't know that it's a full-blown theory. I don't know if I really believe this is the direction they'll go, but it's kind of another possibility that's been opened up. We learn about Zora's subconscious in this episode, that she dreams. What if Calypso was just a dream? A dream that Zora had, a possibility, a what if. I don't know that this will be the case. I, I, I'm not sure which way I lean. But it's definitely a possibility that occurred to me with this episode. So I'm curious what people think about that. Would people be satisfied if Calypso was just a dream of Zora's? Or would you rather see them actually work towards that actually happening somehow? I don't know. I'd, I'd love to find out what people think. But, you know, it's definitely a possibility now. So with all of that said, I kind of want to sum up my feelings on this episode. It's, again, I think a really solid episode. It's really well put together. It's another one of those episodes where, where I really can't find any fault with it. I think pacing-wise and story-wise, it's just a very well-done episode. 
And what's interesting is there's no real action scenes. There's no fighting scenes. It's just mostly people talking, but it is such a Star Trek episode at its core. The ideas that it discusses, what is a life form? What is, what is sentience? What is the proper course for the Federation and its allies to take in the fight against the DMA? So many Star Trek concepts are in this episode and very well done that I, I just was grinning watching this episode, knowing that the ideals that I grew up with in Star Trek are continuing in this show. So fundamentally, I just really loved this episode for those reasons. Now, on a more surface level, this is a really cool episode because there's some neat callbacks, some returns of characters. We have former Captain Ndoye from the season three episode, People of Earth, from the United Earth Defense Force. She shows up here as a general representing Earth and also reveals that Titan has joined United Earth. As we saw in that episode, they were in conflict and now they're joined together that was really cool to learn that. The aliens, the various species that we see at the conference, there's so many familiar species that we see there. Of course, the Lurians who look like Morn, that was cool. But apparently there's also Zindi insectoids that are there, uh, as well as a lot of other species that we've seen before. So really cool that they're paying close attention to detail and showing us those different species and callbacks like that. And finally, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the wonderful scene between Saru and President Tarina of Navarre, definitely seeing steps towards that romance brewing there. <laughs> They're so cute together. I love that Saru kind of stammers a bit when he's talking to Tarina. He's so nervous and a little bit flustered. And Tarina's reaction to Saru's gift of the succulent to make the Kelpian tea out of was just so charming. And I love those two together. Their chemistry is so much fun to watch. So I'm hoping we see more of them throughout the season. So yeah, overall, I have to give this, you know, I'd say five out of five next generation spore drive jumps that look really cool when Buck's ship jumps away. That looked really cool. What it represents kind of sucks, of course, that he's betraying Burnham and going on this rogue mission with Tarka. But uh, the actual effect of it jumping away with the spore drive, that was pretty cool. So I look forward to hearing what people thought about this episode. Make sure to leave a comment on the post for this episode in the Positively Trek discussion group. You can also reach out to us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com, on Twitter, at PositivelyTrek. You can also find me on Twitter, at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, youtube.com slash Productions. And of course, if you want to help out the podcast, we really, truly appreciate all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash slash Positively Trek. We could not do this show without you. Bruce Gibson will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to me blabber on for the past three quarters of an hour. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, let me know what you thought of the most recent episode of Star Trek Discovery. And next week, we return to Star Trek Prodigy with the sixth episode of season one, Kobayashi. And I look forward to speaking with all of you then. Until then, as always, stay positive.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.